Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Team Tech Trust is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, November 24th. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano, good morning. How are you doing after Black Friday? Good morning. Yeah, can't you see I was in hand-to-hand combat right. yesterday. Uh, you did okay? It, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm surprised it just keeps going, but it looks like really the Black Friday sales started almost a week ago, right? But then it even looks like Thanksgiving was a huge day. And as, as we've talked about this past week, you and I, uh, it's just not Black Friday. It has morphed into a number number of events, including Small Business Saturday, right. which is today, today. Uh, and Cyber Monday. And so there's a lot of events that are happening. But the consumer is in really good shape in the United States. And you have to look at why that is. And one of them is a 10-year bull market. That is part of the confidence that the consumer has. And, and consumer confidence. I mean, we got jobs and, and wages are good. They are. And so unemployment, as a reading that we saw a few weeks back, is at a 49-year low. So that means people are confident in their job, and they have this thing called the wealth effect. So they see their 401K is up. They know their job is secure. And so they feel comfortable. They feel At least they feel more comfortable going out and spending money. And we look at uh, the retail outlook, and it has been fantastic. Locally, Kohl's has been doing very well. We could use a good fourth quarter, and retail is going to add a lot to that. So th- good. More power to us. So, you know, one of the things that we are watching, though, is the reason why confidence has been good is because oil prices are low. And look at what's been happening with oil down below $60 a barrel. Well, it was a big story yesterday, and I actually walked up to your office and asked because it would seem that if oil prices are low, to me, that trickles down to gas prices, gasoline prices. I mean, I think I... 235 I think I, I spent, and I drove a lot this weekend. So that's consumer confidence, and yes, yeah. that's like a tax cut for the consumer, but that's not always good, So right? why is that bad? Well, it, it is a uh, harbinger to say that maybe the economy is slowing, because, you know, you think about oil prices, and it's generally a supply and demand, and so if there's less demand, that means perhaps people are driving less, or particularly in the case that we're looking at, is China slowing, because they're a big consumer of energy and oil in particular, if they are slowing, is that a sign that they are in bigger trouble than we think? And is oil used for a lot more than just gasoline? Well, yeah, right? yeah for yeah. sure. And okay. so you look at it and say, all right, if that is a harbinger, if oil is the, the sign that we're looking at and the economies there are slowing down, even here in the United States, it says, well, if the consumers are, aren't going to work, right, aren't, aren't using mm-hmm. gas to do that, aren't driving on vacations, there is less demand. But I think there's more to the story. And maybe it is that supply is there and that, for example, refiners are more efficient and consumers are more efficient and vehicles are more efficient. And we'll have to see if that is really the case. You know, the other thing is, too, I, 
frugality is in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, after 10 years. Ask Apple, right? Yeah. Because it looks like the latest phones that, that came out, it doesn't look like they're selling as well. And of course, if Apple gets a sniffle, the rest of us gets a cold, right? And, and that is the case. And Apple has just been, it's been their worst year in a number of years so far. Now, the year isn't over, but we saw uh, at least an innuendo that one of the companies that they used to put for, for parts for their phone that their demand was off, and that, that suggested that Apple's demand was off, and then the stock got crushed. There was the canary in the coal mine, yeah. right? Okay. Well, it, yeah. it, but it's likely that, that who, that's exactly okay. who it was, and I don't think it was just a rumor. I mean, the stock's not off $50 because of that. Yeah. Uh, it is because there, are, there has been slowing demand. But I think if you look at you know, where we are with the stock market, and now here we are in the last week of November, the Dow Jones and the S&P are flat for the year. And so you look at, you know, what are the components, for example, in the Dow? And, and I just took a, a, a glance at it yesterday. IBM, Caterpillar, Goldman Sachs, DuPont, and Chevron, all down more than 20%. And, there, you know, there's only 30 components in the Dow. So, you know, what's moving? Microsoft, Merck, and Pfizer, they're up 20%. So I think you have to go and say, I, did you just buy the index? Did you just buy the S&P? Uh, you know, the SPY index, did you just do that? Because then you're getting a 0% return. We'll have to see how things end up in the last 24 and a half days of trading. And we have had flat years. You know, people forget that because we talk about a 10-year bull market that started after the Great Recession. We had flat years in 2015 and 2011, effectively 0% returns. And that's where we are today. We're effectively at about 0% for the year. Have you had a chance to look at sectors? Do sectors tell us anything? They do. And, and what has been really beat up lately is technology. Yeah. And we talk a lot about the FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Well, they are in a bear market. I mean, those stocks have definitely been beat up. But you look at what is doing well, and you have to say the consumer cyclicals, which are... Uh, you know, retailers, sure. they have done well. And I think people have to look at their portfolio, know what they own, take the, take the last couple of weeks of the year, and know what you own in your portfolio, why you own it, and what you are paying for it. I think it's really an important exercise as we go into the last part of the year. 1014 at WTMJ Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. The website, AnnexWealth.com. Still to come on the show, a couple of Ask Annex segments. And you can ask us those questions. We love them at AnnexWealth.com. Just look for the Ask button. Also, one of our more popular segments from this year called Saving the Family Cabin. That is on the way. And we're also going to talk about estate plans. Jill Martin is our estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. That's on the way on Money Talk and WTMJ. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk Annex Wealth Management. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano is here. Mandy, we should just make a permanent chair for you. Right, yeah. For, yeah. This is Ask Annex, and you can go to our website, AnnexWealth.com, and just ha- find the Ask Annex button, like this person. I've been reading a lot of articles about taxpayers for this year being under-withheld because of tax reform. Does this impact me? How would I know? I'm retired, have a pension, Social Security, and have been taking money from my IRA IRA. I just don't want to have any surprises when I go to file my tax return and pay any penalties. Well, you know, that is a great question, and it's not the only question that we got on this very subject. Uh, it did come through Ask Annex, but I, I asked you about it as well. Is mm-hmm. are, are our clients and our uh, clients in general, are, are people who listen to the show, are they withholding enough? And that is a great question with tax reform, especially if you have a pension. 
when you have a pension and you elect withholding on a pension, it's all based on tables that the IRS puts out there. IRS adjusted those tables. So it's very possible if you haven't reviewed pension withholding that you may be under withheld. And what happens if people are not withholding enough? You get a tax bill come April and you have underpayment interest. And that's based on a rate about 4 to 5%. So it's not a huge rate, but it's just more money that you have to pay in that you otherwise wouldn't Right. Have so to. if you're listening to this, how do, how do you go about and you're not an annex client, <laughs> what would you do? Get the most recent pension statement that you have. See how much withholding you have already. As uh, compared to last year. Exactly. Um, tax rates this year for a lot of people are 10 or 12% depending on where you fall in tax brackets. So that's a good rule of thumb to see, am I close to that? And you've got to look at other sources, Social Security being another big one for people. And so they go and say, all right, this is what I withheld last year. This is what I'm withholding this year. If it isn't enough, it's not the end of the world here on September 15th. There's still things that people can do between now and the end of the year. Correct. You've got two quarters left to make estimated tax payments. So third quarter would be due on Monday, September 17th. Otherwise, you've got fourth quarter yet to pay a little bit in to make sure you don't get hit with some underpayment interest come April. Do you think this is going to be a gigantic headache for anybody in your profession? It is, especially if you have somebody who's just a W-2 employee that's been working and hasn't looked at their W-4. That's that file you have on file with your employer. They changed that in February. They changed all the numbers and the calculations that go into that. I don't know if a lot of people have actually pulled theirs out to see, did it change this year? You know what I find interesting is it's just not this subject. Tax planning is something that we do throughout the year. It's very important. You know, people don't know, Danny, but it's very important. And Mandy, as a certified public accountant, a master's of taxation, a CFP, she has lots of designations, but she does this with our clients throughout the year. Yeah, and it's something that we, not only withholding, but if you've got capital gains, we're getting into the last couple months here. If you've got a taxable account and you've got some capital gains, it's time to look at tax strategies, realizing gains, harvesting losses, Roth conversions, all those things that we go over with our clients. A couple months left. Right. So tax planning is important. It's when you go to a wealth management firm, tax planning, estate planning, investment planning, the financial plan in general, all of this comes together. That's why we like to say, know the difference. Yep. Difference is team, tech, and trust. And uh, we're replaying a couple of our more popular Ask Annex segments, but we're always open for new questions at Ask Annex. And you can find that at AnnexWealth.com. Sign up for that free portfolio analysis, uh, especially if you're feeling things are a little turbulent, you like a little extra help, we would love to be that partner with you. Also sign up for Axiom, which is our weekly newsletter and Again, you can do that at AnnexWealth.com. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WGMJ. We are going to talk about the family cabin or the lake home or the legacy asset or whatever that is. But for the sake of this story, it's grandpa and grandma's place and it's in Shawano. They built it a long time ago. Of course, as they as they aged, they had four kids. Those four kids had their own four families. There's grandchildren that come around and then things get complicated. Ron Johnson is the CFP. Here's our senior financial planner. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks, Danny. You wrote an article in our Axiom and it got a lot of clicks. Let's talk a little bit more about this and... It's Bring a Friend Day, so Mandy Goloshinsky, <laughs> our tax planner, is here. Hey, Mandy. Hi. So far, Grandma and Grandpa built a cabin. It's a nice place, but everybody's kind of, it's a tug of war. So is right. this what people run into, Ron? Money does strange things, right? Or vacation properties or whatever it is that has value 
And after you pass, if it's up to your children to make decisions amongst themselves, it'll create contention. So there's lots of things to think about when you're talking about transferring a vacation property like a lake home. And Mandy, I know you've had lots of experience with this in your past, and and certainly our clients have too. We suggest you have a family meeting. First off, do your heirs want the property? Will they, you know, will they use it? You know, that's the first thing. Or is it something that, you know, as you said, they have kids, they're maybe going somewhere else, live out of state even, where they're not gonna be coming back to Wisconsin to use the property. Is there an advantage, financial planning or tax or otherwise, for grandma and grandpa to say, okay, this is not our place anymore, something something else should own it? And if so, what is it that should own that? Um, from a tax perspective, if you gift the property during your life, that means your basis is the same as the person that you got it from. Now, if you pass away, your basis gets stepped up to fair market value. Your heirs are going to sell it. You may want to die with the property because then there'd be less tax impacts to your heir. But there's other ways to structure it. Um, A common way is an LLC. That's basically a limited liability company. Put the property in there. Grandma and grandpa still own it during their life, but there's a document, almost like a business document, that kind of directs how the property will operate after yep. their passing. Is it fair if, if you transfer this asset to, say, four children, and one lives 1,500 miles away and will use it once every five years, and the other one lives 10 miles away, and they're going to use it every other week? Well, that's what they get for abandoning grandma and grandma. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it, that's an interesting point, too, that, well, then who's going to pay the maintenance and the property taxes? One may use it more than the other. Do they see it fair that they share in the expenses? Again, those conversations need to be helped along the way. You put it in writing? Always, yes. Yeah. Who puts it in writing? The attorney does. The attorney. As well, part of your estate plan. Real estate attorney? If you are setting up an LLC to put the property in, yes, because you need someone to help transfer title. Now, if you're doing it via trust or just normal estate planning, that's your estate planning attorney. So if you have a family cabin, you're going to most likely need your estate planning attorney, a real estate attorney, an accountant, and your financial planner kind of helping you develop a strategy for this. Do you run into this much? Yeah, well, there's lots of lakes in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of properties around them. So, yeah, it's, it's a very common issue. It's not like passing uh, a pile of cash where you can just divide it four ways and everyone goes on their merry way. What are the other things on your list, Mandy? An exit strategy. So let's say everything is good and dandy right now. All your kids want to share equally. What happens 15 years after your passing when one child now is moving out of state? They want out. How do they get out? So in an LLC, are there shares? Do yes, that's a good way to think of, okay. a, think of it. So in an LLC, let's say the original owners pass. Now you own 25% of that LLC, that share. The other siblings can buy you out. So there would be a value placed on that? There would be a value, okay. yes. Yep. What we like to see it structured is not only do you put the property in there, but you put a little cash to kind of help with the maintenance and the real estate taxes for a couple of years to avoid some of those who's going to pay questions. So the sibling that lives 10 miles away that might be taking the boat in and out and doing some more of the maintenance, do they get any sort of consideration or is that part of the discussion? That's part of the discussion, right? Do they get compensated for their time to manage it? Who's going to be responsible? for making the decisions. You don't want to put one heir in a position or one child in a position where they have to collect money from another for real estate taxes or uh, maintenance on the property or boat maintenance. You don't want to have one go try and get it from another, especially if they don't have it. Mandy, what else you got on there? Will it be rented? Now, you got these kids, you've got these maintenance expenses. Are they going to rent it out to help offset some of the costs? That's something that needs to be discussed beforehand because obviously renting it is another party involved. Somebody has to collect the cash. 
more taxes have to be filed because now you have an income stream. You know, just a whole lot of things to think about if you've got that property. Manny Nowashinsky is our tax planner and big old wet blanket. Right? (laughs) You know, there's a lot to think about, Ron. Yeah. Your job as owner of the property is to make sure everyone's on the same page and everyone's in agreement on uh, what they want to have happen. Once you get that down, now it's time to consult with an estate planning attorney and then get the, your other experts in place as well to get this done. It can be sticky. It can be very sticky. Another another point is how do you determine use? Does everybody get the same amount of time there? So me, my siblings, do I get the first week of every month? My brother gets the second week of every month. You know, how do you determine that so it's shared equally? Or do you have an equitable use of the property? You know, the last thing to consider, Danny, and it's more of a minor point, there's toys that go along with it generally, right? Jet skis, there's boats, ATVs. So what happens with that stuff when you you pass away? Yeah, and when you get those toys come even more problems with estate planning. you got to make sure you can get that title passed to the right owners. So if you have um, an estate plan with a trust, you know, that can help. But, you know, that goes to that family cabin and all those toys need a lot of estate planning. Annex clients can get help figuring this out. It'd be you too. It, it would be. And we've helped a lot mm-hmm. of Annex clients kind of sort through this, you know, exit strategies. Because a lot of times grandparents will do it during their life. So if I inherit a property during their life, so via gift, and I want out, now I'm going to have to pay a lot of tax to get out too. And, and Mandy and I will identify the issues and help you walk through those with you. But then we'll also bring in Jill Martin, who's our estate planning attorney. And she's also an expert on this. And, and she can really bring a, another level of expertise. Expertise. Ron and Mandy, thanks for jumping on today. Thanks for having My us. Pleasure. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Look who's back. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development. She is a CFP, she is a CDFA, and she is in the studio. Hey, good to have you here. We're going to talk about women and uh, wealth and finances and all that. That's your beat. We right? are. It is my beat. Thank you, Danny, for having me. It looks like we're still not getting our brains around where males and females are when it comes to finances. And I, are we talking about couples mostly? We are. So there have been a few surveys out in the last 10 to 12 months or so that really are emphasizing the further need for financial education for women around personal finance. And you know, here, women are more educated, actually, statistically, more accomplished. We sit on more boards, occupy more executive positions. And yet it feels, Danny, like we're still stuck in the in the past, like the 1950s past, when it comes to investing and managing money. So UBS did this study of about 1,700 married couples and recently found out that way over half of married women still leave the investments and long-term planning to their husbands. And it's interesting because the broad majority of those, 85% of those women who do that, do it because they believe their husbands know more about finance. I hate to cop to it, but that's kind of our situation between Suzanne and I. But I guess I'm more interested. I might not know more, but I'm more interested. Well, and it is a problem because women live longer, on average, statistically five years longer. And as we've discussed before, the divorce rate in couples over the age of 50 has doubled in the last 20 years. So the chance of a woman experiencing what we call the three Ds, right? Death, divorce, and disability Mm. is compounded. So at some point, at least eight out of 10 women who are listening are going to have to handle their finances on their own. 
you know, when you're going through a transition, one of the last things you want to do is look back at your life and wish that you'd been more involved in financial decisions. But actually, in this UBS study, 60% of widows and divorced women said that they wish they'd been more involved. So what are the steps to getting more involved? You know, it's interesting because we usually see a separation of duties in a household as financial planners. So we may have a couple come in and one of them would be the one who takes care of the day-to-day budgeting. We like to call that the CEO of the home, right? And <laughs> I know then, that. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. And then one of them tends to focus more on the investing and the and the, the long-term goals. Now, I hate to sit here and pick a side, but what we see and what the stats show us are the women tend to be the budgeters and the men tend to be the longer-term investors, which is interesting when I say that because we're talking about goals for the household, but really it's women who like to get their arms around the goals. So this kind of confounds me too. I think that if women got more engaged in the financial planning process, they would understand that these buckets of money mean something. It means this is my travel bucket. This is my not just retirement, but spend time with the grandkids bucket. What about matching philosophies? Do you find uh, as you work with clients of Annex Wealth Management that husband and wife will come in and, and and one is more aggressive than the other. Does that play into this at all? It definitely plays into it. Only 9% of women on a fidelity study thought they could outperform men in the market. Only 9%. They're also showing that even in couples where the women are breadwinners, they tend to take a back seat in the investing. You and I were talking earlier about money scripts. And just to catch our audience up, a money script is a way that you talk to yourself about money. And usually it comes from when you're really little. So you might have heard your parents talk about money in a certain way. And certainly it's impactful to you if you were raised in a house with household debt or in a situation where no one ever talked about it. Unfortunately, these women are still not getting the education that they need or they're saying they're not in their high school or in their college education too even though women tend to think and plan with a purpose holistically and like to think about those goals unfortunately most of their money scripts have to do around the daughters I'm talking about here with saving in the surveys the women said that their parents would talk about that they should save their money rather than explaining to them and showing them how they can make their money grow for them Deanne it's my own situation right my parents taught my sister and I to save that was very, very important. But we really didn't talk about investing because I don't know if my parents knew all that much about investing. I don't even know if they had somebody back then. So savings where it starts. Unfortunately, still statistically, women are saving less than men. And what women do tend to save, again, it's more the CDs and more of the, the bank products, which we know have a really hard time keeping up with inflation. So we have a few tips for women in different stages of life to help them with, kind of help them wading through the in the investment and savings and to help themselves financially later on. Good, hit me. Okay, so if you're starting out, you know, really aim toward that 15% putting away to retirement. That does include your employee your employer contribution or the match. Statistically, most women don't save enough to get that match. We always say take the free money. Half of that is about knowing what your benefits are. Don't be afraid to ask. Go into your HR and say, hey, I want to be sure that I'm capitalizing on every cent I can make here for retirement. That's a good thing. And yet, because it's talking about our money, a lot of women tend to shy away from that. Have an emergency fund for rainy days. That's not in your retirement or your IRA. That should be your cash. A lot of times people do keep 
keep that in a cash equivalent. But once you get too far north of a certain amount you'd spend, you're just not maximizing your money with today's interest rates and banks. We all know they're still not earning very much. So, you know, work with an investor. Be sure you add beneficiaries to everything, too. Look at when you have debt and when you're young, you sometimes do. Pay down those high interest debts. You know, at Annex, we take a look at debt management through a system. Uh, we have this spreadsheet that shows an avalanche and snowball and how do we pay and then we actually can lay it out for everybody pay this card or this entity this amount this month etc until we're able to cut the interest down and make that work and kind of as a rule of thumb when you're starting out by age 30 plan to save about one time salary by age 40 two times etc when you get to mid-career, this is when you really want to save the max in your retirement plan if you can. And if you're already doing that, look to an IRA or a Roth if you can. Um, and you know, here, when, when you hit that, I hate to say middle age, Danny, but look She's at... She's looking right work, at I, me. I, 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 <laughs> But work with your partner on your retirement goals. It's important to have a sit down so that you have a, some similar views in retirement. You know, it'd be a real terrible thing if Suzanne comes to you out of nowhere on the day of retirement and said to you, hey, Danny, that's it. I'm buying that antique store and you were ready to get the yacht and sail to Antiqua. So have your views aligned as much as you can. That's the part where as you're nearing retirement, that envisioning, meet with a financial professional. You know, as you're nearing it, there are all these milestones, we say. Determine how and when you're going to claim Social Security. We help people with that every day. Review your estate plan. Ensure all your beneficiaries are up to date. These are all very important things to do. It is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management for Saturday, November 24th. Look at that. It's uh, 1052, back in a bit at WTMJ. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management for Saturday the 29th. Welcome back, Mandy. Thank you. We keep dragging you in, but yeah. thank you. Mandy is our tax planner. You're also a CPA, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And a CFP? And both, yes. Any, any other things that we should add in? No, just okay. those. All right, here we go. This is from Ask Annex, which you can access on our website. We love to hear from you. Sandy says, in general, if you're 57 years old and renting, is it better to buy a house or condo at this age or rent? It would not reduce the monthly payment, rent versus house. My thought is, would it be best to keep renting so I don't spend $50,000 of my retirement dollars on a down payment? Keep that fifty k to live on in retirement. Am I correct in my thoughts? Dave Spano is here too. What do you guys think? Well, that's really interesting and Mandy, thanks for joining us because it's certainly better than Oswald. We had to move him aside so you could come in and have a chat with us. But that is an interesting conversation. It's something that we have all the time when it comes to financial planning. As respect is to taxes, though, th those are two different conversations. Right. If you're looking just from a tax standpoint, if you need $50,000, it's going to cost you a lot more than that. You're looking at maybe 75000 now that you're taking from your retirement accounts. Right. So the taxes of that. So yes. so let's, let's break this down. There is, there's actually three parts. There's a tax question, it's a financial planning question, and then, of course, there's an emotional question. Mm -hmm. So tax perspective, if you take the $50,000 out of a qualified plan, it's going to cost you more. Is there any other tax aspects that we should consider? You know, you used to, if we go back to last year before tax reform, there were some nice tax incentives 
to itemizing with real estate taxes and mortgage interest, but now most people won't be itemizing. So, you know, from a tax perspective, there's not that incentive anymore for home ownership. Right. So the advantage has gone away there. For as far as a financial planning perspective, what is your opinion on should you rent or buy? You know, it, you know, when you're 57 and you're looking forward, you most mortgages are 30 years. Are you going to be living in that home for 30 years? Most likely, based on her age, it may be, maybe not. But what happens in 20 years if you need to move to more of an assisted living? Now you have this house that you have to try to right. liquidate. Right. You know, from a financial planning move, it really goes to net worth, your assets, your expenses, you know, the whole planning scenario at that point. And I always say there is an economic answer and there's an emotional answer. And the emotional answer is, do you want to stay connected to your home? Number yep. one, that's a big deal. The second part, of course, is do you want to have debt? And the third part of that is if something happens to you, what's going to happen to that property? And, you know, I personally have gone through that is now there's a home to sell or, or prepare and all of these things have to go into it. So there's a lot that goes into it. I think that's a really great question. Thanks, Sandy. Question two, Mike says, we're ready to sell my wife's house in Kentucky. She bought it three years ago with an interest-only mortgage deal. House assessment now 295k. She bought it for 255k. What to expect after we pay the real estate broker's fee of seven percent? What is the best way to keep money in our pocket and reduce taxes on the profit, Mandy? Um, if you have a personal residence, you do have a personal residence home sale exclusion. So since it's his wife's house, I'm not sure on their personal situation, but let's just say it was his wife's house. If it's personal residence and you live there for two of the past five years, you can exclude up to $250,000 of gain. And that's assuming, you know, one taxpayer. And again, it's just not how much you paid for it, how much you sold it for. There's other things that go into it, including depreciation and, and things that you put into the house as well. And that affects the basis. Mm -hmm. Right. So if she bought it three years ago, has she been living in it this whole time in Kentucky or has she been renting it out? You know, had, did she do a kitchen remodel? You're correct. That would just increase the cost of the house and reduce the gain. Um, and there's other to selling a house as well. So when you go through and we do tax plan with our clients and they look at is there a gain or loss based on the basis now in the house, can they look across other capital gains and losses that they have and can they offset that with a house sale? Right, yeah. So if for some reason you don't qualify to exclude the gain, you could if you have a stock or something else that has a loss, you could sell that to help reduce the tax hit from selling a house with a gain. So there's two Ask Annex questions, and again, you can always submit those. Just go to AnnexWealth.com and just find the Ask button. That's tax stuff, Mandy. That's that's your beat. Uh, yep. When do you start getting busy? Oh, right about now. People start thinking about what tax planning they should be doing before year end. We're kind of getting close. And Dave, we should point out that uh, we have a tax professional. We have a whole tax team here. Well, when you talk about know the difference, one of the things I want people to understand is you can go to another investment advisor or another broker, and they may not have everybody on the team, estate planners and tax planners. This is something that we do with our clients, and I think it's very important to put that into the entire financial plan and make Make sure that when you're doing that, that it's tied to your investment plan as well.